Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 77 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, 77 was, when I, when I was growing up, that was one of those like really cool hockey numbers, you know? Like you had Ray Bork and Paul Coffey and I think Pierre Turgeon wore it as well. But 77 was a good hockey number in my books. Yeah, I always think of Ray Bork when I think of 77. Uh, was never a big Paul Coffey fan, but that's probably because I hate the Oilers as much as I do. Uh, Pierre Turgeon, I do remember, I believe he was wearing 77 when uh, Dale Hunter hit him from behind after scoring that goal. Yeah, and that, that hit's come up uh, a bit this past week uh, as well with uh, reference to what happened in the Montreal Winnipeg series. We're going to get into that series and uh, we're going to touch on what's going on around the league. Uh, but first off, how's your week been, Doug? What's What's been going on? Uh, it's been okay. Like I said, it's, you know, this weather, you know, in the morning it's cold and rainy. Usually by 10, 11 a.m., it starts to brighten up. The clouds are clearing. The sky is blue. And then it's hot again and sunny. And then by, let's say, 7.30, 8 p.m., it's the forecast is changing. It's it's overcast again, and it's starting to rain. It just It's this bipolar weather, man. Uh, that's that's West Coast weather, man. We we should be we should be used to that by now. Hey, it's been um, up until today. It was a pretty quiet week on a lot of things Canucks fronts, but uh, we're getting joined today by Phil Figueredo. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Phil Figs. Uh, we're going to get into all sorts of stuff with the Canucks coaches, and we're going to touch on a, a few other things as well, and just kind of get some thoughts about what the rest of this off season is going to look like for the team. Yeah, uh, you know, big news today, like you said, we'll dive a little bit deeper with our conversation with Phil later in the episode, but big news today from a Canucks fan's standpoint is Ian Clark has re-signed. I don't, I didn't see if what the term was in any of these uh, deals. I don't know if uh, that was released to the media or not. Um, I would expect it to be over two years for Clark, hopefully it's closer to four or five, the same contract that Demko signed. But uh, that's a massive win for the Canucks. Sure is. Uh, it sounded a few weeks ago like the Clark extension may not be happening and there's a lot of doom and gloom. But I think all Canucks fans today are a lot happier knowing that Ian Clark is locked up for what it sounds like is five more years. That's what Quads was reporting. So, hey, that's some great news. Uh, also, on some smaller bits on the Canucks front, Vasily Podkolzin decided to put a ring on it before making the move across the pond here to Vancouver today. So, congrats to Podkolzin. Yeah, congratulations, Vasily. Um, as Canucks fans, we're all looking forward to, you, forward to you coming over to North America and staking your claim in the beautiful city of Vancouver. How old, like Pods is what, 20 years old? Uh, I think he might even be younger. I think he's still only 19. He might be turning 20 later this year, but I believe he's still only 19. Jeez, uh, Pod Colson hearkening back to the old days of of when people would get married at 18, 19, 20. That's, uh, hey, whatever works, right? Good on him. Congratulations. We'll see him soon. The Islanders just scored. We're recording this during the Islanders-Bruins game right now. Uh, so, hey, you know me. Go Islanders. They're my, they're my number two team, especially if they're playing the Bruins. Nice. Uh, so I'm guessing I don't have the game on in the background. I'm guessing it's one nothing then? 2-1. 2-1 here. 2-1. Okay. So, um, 
We were talking a little bit before we recorded about the uh, the videos that the Canucks put out with the player design series uh, for their new hats and new gear. Have you checked it? Uh, which ones have you checked out? Have you seen? I know we were talking about the Pedersen one that uh, the Canucks put out today, and uh, they put out a video on YouTube the other day with his hat design. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I saw the Quinn Hughes hat, which I actually really liked. It was in the Millionaire's Colors as well. Uh, and then there's the like zombie Thatcher Demko Johnny Canuck thing, which I didn't like at first. But the more I've seen it, the more I look at it, the more it's grown on me a little bit, I guess. Um, I like Petey's kind of outside the box design of just putting a jersey on the hat like that. I think that's kind of cool. And it's the skate logo, which obviously I'm extremely partial to. I know you are too, Pete. Yeah, definitely. That was uh, the one I grew up with. It was always tough to draw, but I always liked it. I think it's cool that they're doing these series. It gets a little bit more character. I mean, as if we need more logos and colors in the team history, but I thought the whole videos they did together uh, with, with showing the, the collaboration and how that was done, I thought that was pretty cool. And from a marketing standpoint, that's, uh, that's fantastic for the team as well. Yeah, they did it a couple of years ago as well with, uh, I think it was Besser, Petey, and Horvat, where they all designed a hat. Uh, so I would assume this might be a tradition moving forward with some of the young core and having some of these guys design their own uh, Canucks hat, which I like. I, I think it's really cool. Like I said, I actually really like the Quinn Hughes hat. It was very subtly done with the 43 in the back with the Millionaire's V in the front like that. Uh, yeah, I, I I really like it. Yeah, me too. May have to may have to grab something here at some point. Uh, some good stuff out there. Um, also, Team Canada uh, somehow wins the gold with I. You know, I love this tournament. I like how you always get kind of a mix mash of NHL players, but this year was obviously very different. It was a very different team, and it it, it didn't look like it was a team that was going to win, but. Hey, here we are, and uh, it was it was the team got better as it went on, and Troy from Richmond gets the gold. Yeah, the team reminded me a lot of I believe it was the previous Winter Olympics where there was no NHL players on the team. Um, so a lot of the guys on this team, and don't get me wrong, there were obviously some NHL players. You just mentioned one, Troy from Richmond, um, but it wasn't like that typical stacked Canadian team or. American team or Swedish team that we've come to see at the world championships for obvious reasons. I think this last season with the amount of games that were crammed in such a small amount of time, I think a lot of the players were tired and they were like, you know what? I just need, I just need my off season to start now. Um, but congratulations to Canada. I believe they lost their first three games of the tournament and they lost to a couple of, didn't they lose to Latvia? They got shut out by Latvia. Yeah. So I don't think anyone was really expecting with the, early returns from this team in the tournament. I don't think anyone was expecting them to actually pull up the gold medal victory over Finland, but congratulations team Canada. Congratulations, Troy from Richmond and congratulations, Roberto Luongo. Yeah. Very cool. There's now forever a connection between Roberto Luongo, Mikey DiPietro and Troy Stetcher. So I'm sure fans of this team and fans of the lower mainland will appreciate that uh but yeah it was you know as you know I've, I've been to the world championships before and usually you know there's uh, pretty good players on the team and not that this Canada team wasn't good it's just on paper it was a very unlikely team and year to win it especially starting 0-3 uh but hey good on them that was uh it was great to see and uh Stetcher 
I mean, <laughs> when he pulled that move uh, in the, that game there, uh, set up the winner, set this fan base alight, just like so many other overtime goals, it seems, this past week. Yeah, I mean, anytime a former Canuck does anything, it's a hot-button topic, rightfully or wrongfully. Uh, but it becomes a hot-button topic in Vancouver and on Canucks Twitter for at least 48 hours, if not longer. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like, I mean, the Toffoli one, it, it stings. It'll it'll always sting. That's one that got away. I was more okay with, with Stetcher going uh, than I think some people were, but uh, the Toffoli one, that certainly stings. Hey, um, a couple other things just to touch on the, that we didn't touch on, first of all, last episode, um, because uh, we wanted to highlight uh, the situation in Kamloops, but we didn't mention that it is Pride Month, so I wanted to say happy Pride to everyone, because uh, it's, a, it's a big thing in this city, it's a big thing in my neighborhood, and uh, I know there's a lot of different Canucks fans out there from different walks, so Everyone, happy Pride, and uh, it's it's great to see the NHL and the Canucks trying to do more to make the game actually for everybody. Yeah, uh, you know, you're seeing the, the Pride flag being waved and shown in storefront windows all across the city, not just on the West End uh, where you live. Uh, and I, I think this city and this province are really looking for inclusivity and happiness and, you know, coming together. You love is love. And I, I think, you know, by all accounts, BC's looking really good at the moment as far as COVID numbers. It looks like we're going to hit our June 15th target. It looks like we're probably, hopefully, trending to hit our July 1st target. So let's hope we can actually have a pride parade this year because we didn't get one last year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, geez, the the numbers just keep looking better and better as we start to get close to resuming some semblance of normalcy. I can maybe finally go back to the island for a visit at some point here. Very excited about all of that. Um, one other thing to touch on, and there again, there's no easy way to touch on it, but we wanted to mention the situation that happened in London, Ontario. Uh, there's obviously details are are not really coming out a lot except we know it was a a heinous racially motivated attack i just wanted to read a little something from our captain bo horvat who released this uh, shortly before recording i just wanted to read an excerpt from this statement that he and the canucks put out and he says the horrible reality that senseless acts like this continue to take place based on someone looking differently or living differently than us has no place in our world and I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I have traveled in a lot of Muslim countries, and uh, obviously everyone's experiences are different wherever they travel. Uh, but for me, I have always had fantastic times. I've always felt safe. Uh, the people have always been very welcoming. And uh, for the past 20 years, at least, Islamophobia is a very real thing. Um, there are some great organizations around town that talk to a Muslim, which uh, do some great work uh, as well with just just explaining what the faith is and, and who they are. But for me, this one, it really does strike a bit of a chord. Um, it's it's a really it's it's just it's been some sad tough times in Canada right now between what happened on Ontario, what's happened in Kamloops, and all the Asian 
racially motivated attacks and incidents that we've seen. Uh, you know what? Like Canada, we're better than this. I know this isn't a reflection of everyone, but let's keep the conversations going and and not let the the small-minded people have the largest voices. Yeah, I mean, well said, Pete. And you know what? I love the fact that Bo Horvat released a statement as poignant as his was on the subject. And yeah, it just, it's a shame that, you know, it sounds so cliche and so silly, but you know, that we can't all just get along and we can accept people's differences, whether that's in faith or sexual orientation, gender identification, you know what I mean? Like we're all human beings. We're all trying to get by day by day, especially this past year and a half during this pandemic. It's, I, I, it's been a lot harder on a lot of us, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, and, you know, just try, we just got to try to be better. All of us, you know what I mean? And this whole narrative, oh, Canada is nothing like the States and oh, all that stuff's only in the US. I mean, we're seeing it more and more in Canada that that hate that we see make headlines in the US day after day, it's in our own backyard too. And, you know, we need to start doing a better job of calling these assholes out and calling these bigots out. And, you know, there's no place for that and standing up for one another when you see someone being discriminated against. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. So, you know, our thoughts are with uh, everyone affected by what happened in London with the Muslim community, with Canadians, with Londonians. I'm not sure if that's what they call themselves, but with uh, with everyone. Um, And yeah, stand up, have a voice. And uh, we don't want the small voice to to dictate what we are and what we look like. you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canuck speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn and Pete and I are building this ever growing outro playlist. You can find it on Spotify. It's the Canuck speakeasy outro playlist. Make sure you give that a follow as well. Check it out. It's some funky jams, a little bit of old school hip hop, a little bit of old school funk And yeah, there'll be another track added at the end of this episode. So before we bring Phil Figueredo on here to to talk all things Canucks, let's do a quick Around the Room segment here. I think you're going to want to hear this. Uh, No, I'm just playing. I'm I'm having fun here at the hockey game. Because it was an eventful week in hockey. We're now down to six teams. We saw Montreal eliminate Winnipeg. That's obviously the big one. Now, Montreal never seems to be getting any respect here. I know we said way back in January, uh, we picked Montreal to win the division. Well, they didn't win it in the regular season, but they did win the division. So I don't think we're too surprised by this, but there's been this underlying narrative that Montreal was playing an underdog role. And I, I just, I didn't buy into it. Like I said, I picked them to beat the Leafs. I picked them to beat the Jets. I don't think they're playing an underdog role. I think they, they're they built for playoffs. And once Shifley went down in, uh, with the, the suspension, I say went down because last year he went down in the first game. Um, so it's the second year in a row that Shifley got, has cost the team the series in a lot of ways in the first game, um, which was just, 
it was that was just I mean it was so ridiculous uh, what what he did, uh, but that contributed to the Jets' undoing. But for me, Montreal not a surprise, although a lot of people are are giving them this underdog narrative. Yeah, I think the big thing, and you and I said it before the season started, and the Scotia North Division was announced that we both like Montreal, and we did think some of their off season acquisitions were really good and they were probably one of the better built teams for the playoffs but it all depended on carry price and throughout the course of the regular season price was up and down he didn't have a solid regular season but like a lot of teams and a lot of goalies do come playoff time price has been lights out and I think that has definitely contributed to Montreal having the success they've had in these playoffs. I still didn't expect them to sweep the Jets. I thought, even with Shifley being suspended after game one, I still thought that the Jets would at least, you know, take them the five or six games. So I was shocked by that. But Montreal, they definitely have a lot of momentum going into the next round. I do wonder, because obviously they, with all the teams really, that are about to go embark on the next round of playoffs, they're facing a team for the first time this entire year, and I wonder how much that'll affect teams in the next round. I think it'll affect them a lot. I think this is going to be... I, I've been so looking forward to the the Final Four just because of that. And we know Montreal gets the winner of Vegas-Colorado, so it's going to be tough, but the Habs have won seven in a row. Um, just... Quickly, thoughts on Shifley's comments today. It was so out of touch. Like, he's, again, he's trying to, he's victim blame. He's pretending like he's a victim, and he's trying to blame the Department of Player Safety. It, you know, what did he say? I thought uh, Philip Deneau was going to take me out of the series, not the Department of Player Safety. It's like, hey, dude, like, I get it. One of my all-time favorite players, and honestly, still is one of my all-time favorite players, is Scott Stevens. I love Scott Stevens. But, hey, hey, (laughs) that being said, in today's NHL, which I agree with, you know, you can't have concussions and head injuries and CTE keep being a thing. Scott Stevens, I don't know if he would be anywhere near as impactful as he was in the early 2000s and late 90s. And what Shifley did, he didn't try to play the puck. And I think that's kind of the big thing there. He said he was trying to prevent a goal from being scored. No, you were laying the body out. You ran 150 feet. I won't say it was exactly 200 feet, but it was 150 feet. You skated down the ice to crush someone. And you know what? Maybe 20 years ago in playoff hockey, that would be accepted. But in today's day and age, it's not acceptable. You need to take the lumps and deal with the fact that you made a mistake. Stop trying to blame everybody else. Yeah, it's interesting as well. And just going back to, uh, you know, talking about Canada, Shifley and Kadri, the two big suspensions, both Canadians as well. So uh, just uh, something about... Maybe it just the Canadian guys playing a little more on the edge in the, these playoffs. Uh, I, I know, obviously, Kadri. Oh, Islanders goal again. Uh, Kadri's not playing in Canada right now, but um, it's just kind of interesting that uh, those two guys, uh, both Canadian as well. Um, the other series that we saw come to an end, Tampa over Carolina, which I... I, I I was looking forward to this one. Five games, again, shorter than I thought. But it's amazing when you have an extra 19 or $20 million in cap space, what you can do with a team. 
Yeah, and you know what? I was shocked, too. I mean, Carolina was my team to go all the way this year. I thought they had, you know, top to bottom. They had the goaltending, I thought, with uh, uh, Nojolkovic, I think is the kid's name, uh, the young goaltender they have there. Um, But, you know, as good as Tampa's offense has been and as good as their power play has been for the better half of two years now, honestly, Vasilevsky. I mean, you saw in the handshake... Rob Brindamore stop and like talk with Vasilevsky for what a solid two minutes just being like dude like you are unbelievable like we obviously who knows what was actually said but you could tell the respect Rod Brindamore had for Vasilevsky and how well he played in that series and how he completely shut down Carolina's best players throughout the entire series. Yeah, Vasilevsky right now is the best goalie in the world. Uh, I mean, goaltending is getting you through Montreal as well. Carey Price, he's playing great too. So, uh, but yeah, Tampa Bay. I mean, they're they're locked and loaded and healthy right now. Uh, they look scary, and they're going to get the winner of Isles Bruins, which right now is looking Islanders up three two in the series and three one here late in the second. So, I mean, I hope I don't jinx them, but that'll be an interesting series too. I mean, Islanders Lightning. It's kind of got a, I don't know, I, I think that's going to be entertaining as well. You talk about Russian goalies and uh, one team, well, two teams really just playing very different systems as well. So um, that's, again, it's not assuming yet, but uh, if, assuming the Islanders get by the Bruins, are you surprised by that? I am a little bit, but I, I again, I don't think we should be surprised. Like, I was actually going to bring this up, and we don't have a ton of time. We need to get to our interview with Phil, but... Barry Trotz, like there was, I think it was right after Torts was hired, I believe, or maybe it was right after Vino. It was either when Torts was hired or maybe it was after Willie got fired. But I remember there was rumors about Barry Trotz coming to Vancouver and being the coach here. And one of our coworkers, Pete, I don't know if I ever told you this story from back in the day, Dan said he actually saw Barry Trotz at a park bench in Vancouver. And I always wonder what would the Canucks is of last six years, five years been if Barry Trotz was the head coach. This guy, no matter where he goes, he finds success and he wins. And I'm still flabbergasted after winning the Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals, the Capitals ownership couldn't get a deal done and extend their Stanley Cup winning coach. Blows my mind. Great for Barry Trotz on the Long Island. Great for the New York Islanders. I know they're a storied franchise that have a really rabid, good fan base that have kind of been without a home for the last couple of years, going between NASA Coliseum and Barclays Center. It's nice to see them having some success finally. And hey, local kid Matt Barzell on that team as well. Yeah, I, I like I said, Isles got a soft spot. Barry Trotz, we should add that to uh, when we do the Canucks alternate reality episode. Maybe we should add Barry Trotz in there. Uh, lastly, Vegas, Colorado, really crazy game last night. Uh, it looked like the home ice winning streak in that series was going to continue. Colorado was up 2-0, and then in the third period, it was all Vegas, and then another early win in overtime. Um, heading back to Vegas now, is Colorado done? I mean, this has definitely been the best series of the second round of the playoffs. Going back to what we talked about in previous series, uh, Tampa Bay and the Montreal series, goaltending. I know Marc-Andre Fleury let in a really soft goal. I also believe Robin Leonard got the start for, in the first game. Not sure what the thinking was there. But Fleury's been very solid. I mean, he did let in a pretty bad goal last night. 
Um, and yet he battled back and held his team in it and didn't give up that next goal. And Vegas and Jonathan Marchessault, you know, they uh, fought back to tie the game in the third, send it to overtime, and then obviously they won it in overtime. Uh, I do think Colorado pushes it to a game seven. And I mean, a game seven between those two teams, I mean, I, I can't imagine any hockey fan wouldn't be absolutely relishing at, at potential game seven between these two clubs. Top two teams in the league in the regular season. Whoever wins it gets Montreal. I can't help but think that if Colorado wins, Colorado-Montreal, that could have been the Quebec Nordiques in Montreal again in a woulda, coulda, shoulda. But uh, I can't help but think that. Um, it's going to be tough going back to, to Vegas for this one. Uh, they seem to have gotten some life uh, under them now after uh, coming out very slow in the start of that series. Colorado was rested, and now the series is kind of flipped around on them hey um it is time to get phil on the line here so let's let's bring phil figueredo in and let's talk all things canucks joining us now our guest for the week is phil figueredo and you can follow him on twitter at phil figs phil thanks for coming on to the speakeasy how are you doing gentlemen thank you so much my uh this is my my first time being on a podcast so i'm Pretty pretty excited. Thanks for having me. No worries. Well, we get to we get to break the cherry then. It's it's yes. it's not that scary. We basically just just kind of hang around here and, and talk Canucks, which is uh, something that we probably do without the microphones as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Phil. Um, looking forward to deep diving on to some of the Canucks news that dropped today, and uh, just finding a little bit out about yourself and where you stand on Canucks land. Are you? Uh, crucify Benning at every corner are you more of the middle of the road guy are you Benning is the next messiah you know we can unpack that all in uh in the next uh 20 to 30 minutes here that sounds like a church service right there or something Doug. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a lot of big news coming out of the canucks today thankfully um it had been a pretty quiet week since we last recorded at least with things pertaining to this current version of the canucks so I wanted to start things off today with talking about the coaches and some of the big news. Uh, of course, Ian Clark is back. Noel Brown is gone and Brad Shaw is in. Um, just kind of quickly, Phil, what, what, what sort of jumps out at you about all of that? I think it needed to be done a while ago. Uh, I think we were all kind of expecting it as Canucks fans that it should have happened a while ago, but um, I, I was shocked to be completely honest with you that, Ian Clark specifically resigned um, with the Canucks and for, I think what's being said is five years. So it matches Demko's deal um, for that to happen. You have to give credit where credit's due and, you know, for Benning to actually be able to go out there and say, you know, we did it. We signed him is, is massive. Um, there was talk that he, he had a deadline and if the deadline was or if it wasn't signed by the deadline that he was going to walk, uh, there was talks about that and that deadline had come and gone and here he is signed for five years, potentially. Like, I think it's uh, an incredible, like, I can't believe it. Do you think that the tone that the Canucks were taking with a lot of this stuff has changed? Because it does feel like, at least to me, that in the last couple of weeks, what you're hearing out of the organization was an acknowledgement that this fan base is restless and unhappy. And do you think that kind of ramped up the work to specifically get Ian Clark done so we didn't have another Judd Brackett situation? 
Well, if the banner didn't uh, give it away that the Canucks fans wanted something done, I don't know what would have been, right? So, yeah, I, I definitely you can start to see that the money's being spent again and that it just goes with the way the world's going as well, right? So the world's starting to open back up. Canucks fans can probably start to purchase their tickets for some games next season. The Aquilinas are getting some income. You know, like things are starting to kind of get back to a bit of normalcy. Um, so yeah, like I think that the money and all that kind of stuff is going to be available again and that we can actually start seeing some progress. Yeah, I think that's a good point you bring up, Phil, about uh, the money being spent. Because I do think one of the reasons why that deadline of Ian Clark's that you talked about and mentioned wasn't met was because I think there was a bit of a holding pattern with ownership wanting to see what next year was going to look like, whether or not fans would potentially be able to be in the stadium before they would start committing money today for next year and the following year. And, you know, I've been very critical of ownership. Um, I blame a lot of the issues that are currently happening with the Canucks on ownership. Betting deserves blame for a lot of things as well. Um, But I got to give credit where credit's due. I think today was a win for the organization. It's a win for the fan base. I think ownership deserves, even though it hurts me to say this, they do deserve some credit for getting the job done. They must have sat down with Ian Clark, who I don't think wanted to leave either, right? I mean, you had Thatcher Demko come out at the end of the year and say how much he wanted him back. You had Thatcher Demko's mom make a comment online, on social media, saying the Canucks need to get this done. Mikey DiPietro, who didn't play any games for the Canucks this year, but got to work close with Ian Clark all year also came out and said, he's one of the best goalie coaches he's ever worked with. So I definitely think Benning deserves a bit of credit. Ownership deserves more credit. And I think it's a very happy day for Canucks fans. That's a lot of credit you're giving out today, Doug. You must, uh, you must've had a third cup of coffee this morning or something. Um, It is rare though for us all to have a good news day, isn't it though? Like you log on and, and generally all sides of Canucks arguments today are pretty happy wouldn't you say i would say yes i would say everyone for the most part are happy i mean it also stops us from having to talk about Toffoli over and over and over again i get it look it was a mistake but we need something to like make the fans feel positive going into next year so phil with uh with ian clark in the fold here uh, obviously he's done great work with canucks goaltenders over the years and the Canucks once the goalie graveyard ever since Luongo came in we've had about 15 years now of success in the pipe so this year it looks like it's going to be Demko and Holtby but do you think that the future is now going to be to bring in Mikey DiPietro or would you entertain the notions of of trading DiPietro and this is something that I've heard a few people kick around as well as that DiPietro could be your most valuable trade ship with working with Ian Clark as well but do you see a tandem two years from now as Demko and DiPietro or do you think maybe he's a trade ship? It's a really good question. Um, It's really tough to say. I feel like I actually feel really bad for DiPietro. Like, I feel like that, I think he played, what was the one game that he got called up for and just got absolutely destroyed in goal. And it was just, okay, then he went back down and then never played again. And then COVID happened and, you know, he was kind of sitting around on that emergency taxi squad, not getting any games. 
He's basically just practicing. Like his development has taken such a hit. Um, I think the only bonus to that is the fact that Ian Clark has been around that entire time. So he has seen Ian Clark. He, he has seen, like, we know that the results can be there for Di Pietro if he does stick around for a little bit longer. I'd like to give him a little bit of a shot. I know that Holpe's not going to resign here in Vancouver after his two years, especially not for that much money. So I'd like to see Di Pietro get a chance, but at the same time, like the Canucks in a couple years, they're going to have a lot of spots to fill. And if they can get some solid, solid pieces to fill either within the top six or, you know, God help that defensive core, you know, in the next couple of years and use Di Pietro as a trade chip, um, I think that'd be great. But at the same time, I think the return people need to see Di Pietro play. And until they actually see him play in a Canucks uniform, I don't think there's going to be too many calls, especially anything that's going to be, you know, super beneficial to this Canucks team um, until they actually start seeing him play some games. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I also think one of the things that hurts Di Pietro as far as being a trade chip is just the undervalue of goaltending across the league at the moment. Goalies just don't have the same value they used to, say, five, six, ten years ago. The other thing I wanted to bring up to you guys and just kind of think what your guys' thoughts were is how beneficial is it going to be for a guy like Di Pietro and Arthur Silvos, 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 can never get it right. I think it's, I think it's she loves, but we've been, uh, we've been through this before. Just, we just call him Arthur S just like we did with Tyler G. There you if go. The, if the team can't even get his Jersey name, like written on the Jersey, <laughs> right. I think, I think we're okay. I think we'll be fine. Fair. That's a good point. But how valuable do you guys think it is having, Abbotsford, now the AHL affiliate of the Canucks, now Clark can actually work with these young goalies a lot closer as opposed to them being halfway across the continent in Utica. Yeah, so I guess because there's not going to be a taxi squad again this year, you're not going to have to worry about, um, like, will Di Pietro get any sort of coaching from Ian Clark? The Abbotsford hockey team is going to be right down the road, essentially, right? So for Ian Clark to, to now get... You know, Di Pietro will be playing there, and then Sil- Silvas, Sil- Arthur S. <laughs> the other goalie that we have in our system, <laughs> yeah. So for you know, for him to be able to go back and forth and and see those guys on you know whatever the basis is going to be every couple days or whatever, um, I think is going to be a, a massive, massive benefit to this team. Um, like I said, regardless of if they're going to be a trade ship or not even the fact that we have those guys in our system with Ian Clark to, to kind of guide them through is going to be, it's, it can only produce good things. Yeah. I think the taxi squad, like a lot of things we saw this year, including a 56 game season are all going to be gone with Seattle coming into the league this year. The NHL is going to do everything they can to get back to a normal schedule and just general normalcy with the games and just like everything else. Um, Uh, There's so many benefits, in my opinion, to having this team in Abbotsford and Ian Clark working with the goalies is is one of them. And it is certainly for me one of the bigger ones because it's just going to it's it's going to keep that pipeline going. There's been a lot of talk about Braden Holtby and how the Canucks should try and possibly move his contract or consider a buyout, which does carry a cap hit into 2223. Um what do you think, Phil, would be the best thing for Braden Holtby? Should we ride him out for another year here? Is it worth trying to trade him with an asset? Is it worth trying to trade him on retained salary or just completely buying out? What would you do with Holtby for this next season? 
personally, I just say ride it out. You got one year left. This team isn't going to do like, it's not built to do anything next year anyways, you know? And at this point, you're not getting anything beneficial for Holpe anyways. If anything, it's going to be, you're going to be giving up something more for someone to take on that salary. So, and the Canucks just can't afford to give up draft picks or prospects or anything like that right now. So I think you just ride it out. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He, you know, he proved that he was getting a little bit better towards the end of this season. Um, you know, once they got back from their COVID break, I don't think that there's a reason why the Canucks need to be rushing out to, to get rid of Holpe. He's got one year left. Just ride it out. Yeah, I, I also think, I don't know if any of the younger goalies are ready to be a everyday backup in the NHL. So you're still going to have to sign a backup goalie, which is probably going to be anywhere between the one and a half to $2 million range. So after you get rid of Holpe's, what is it? 4.2, I believe he's out. You know, you're still, you're only saving yourself $2 million in the long run, as opposed to the full cap hit of 4.2 or whatever it is he's making. And it would still, even with buying him out, it carries a half a million cap hit. So even if you have a, all of a sudden a, a $2 million goalie, you're, you're only really saving 1.8, but then you're carrying 1.9 over into the following season, which is really, that's the season where if the Canucks can show fiscal restraint this off season, they are finally going to have a lot of cap space. So kind of with, with that in mind, we know that the team is going to be we're, they're going to be tight on, on cash. Uh, we, we know that it sounds like we may get a, a little bit lower cap hit for PD and Hughes than originally thought, but until that's all done, we can only speculate. What should the Canucks be looking for? And do you have anyone in mind in terms of, of upgrading this team, either in the forward core or on the right side? Um, a specific player in mind? No. Um, and this is going to be a super boring take. And I apologize. <laughs> Canucks just need to stay status quo. Yeah. Really, is what they need to do. No, I think, sign. I think that's a good take. That's not boring. I think it's 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 probably their most sensible take. Right? Like, there's no reason for them to do anything drastic this year. It is what it is. I think I have it written down. Next year, 2022-2023, they currently only have seven players under contract nine if you want to include Hughes and Pedersen because that's obviously going to get done nine guys in two in two years right yeah like you have a ton of opportunity to to basically revamp this team you know and you're going to have you're not going to have the Luongo recapture anymore you're not going to have Louis. little things oh my little god the <laughs> Louis Erickson that's how little amount we've talked about Louis Erickson is like I actually forgot his name <laughs> right so little yeah Louis little things Erickson is going to be out of here um, I think Brandon Sutter is going to be gone too. Like you have all these things that are coming off the books. You're going to have so much money to spend. There's, there's no need to really rush about it for next year. Um, I think the Canucks really need to start focusing on 2022, 2023. That's going to be the year where that, you know, that core group of players is going to be at their best and you're going to have a ton of cap space to work with as well. So I think that's kind of what the Canucks need to be looking for. Yeah. yeah. I, sorry. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying, Phil. I, I do think that, you know, kind of staying status quo and saying, hey, look, we still have some bad contracts carrying into next year. Uh, Russell, Louis, Beagle. But after that, all the contracts outside of, let's say, the Tyler Myers deal, um, all the really bad contracts are kind of off the books. The Luongo cap recap 
cap recapture penalty is off the books as well. Here's a thought I had, and I, I'd love to get both of your guys' opinion on this. Because I do think the Canucks should be trying to trade one of the bad contracts this year. But I thought of a creative way to be able to do this, potentially, is what if they trade back it from their ninth overall pick to a mid-teens or even an early 20s pick? And then the cost, instead of adding a second-round pick, you're throwing in a bad contract for that team. So like Detroit, perfect example. Detroit's got $50 million in cap space heading into next year. Absolutely ridiculous. You know, does Detroit jump up to maybe take the goaltender Wallstead if he's still there at nine? Um, and the Canucks move back to 23rd. And while jumping up, they're taking Jay Beagle's contract off our hands or maybe Louis Erickson's contract off our hands. And we completely shed ourselves of the full cap hit whether that's beagles three and a half louis six million what do you guys think of that because i think in this draft in particular it's more wide open i know there's still tiers of the players at the top of the draft and the bottom of the draft but i think this year with the limited viewing so many scouts had on these players there's going to be a lot of diamonds in the rough in the late first early second and all throughout the later rounds of the draft in my opinion what do you guys think of that i think you kind of answered what I, or kind of answered what I was going to say at the end there. And, and because this draft is such a crapshoot, I don't think that that ninth pick is necessarily all that valuable to some players or some teams, excuse me. So I have a, I don't know, like, I kind of feel like some teams are like, well, we, we could take this crappy contract off your hands to get the ninth pick. But honestly, my draft pick at, you know, 20, 11 picks later might not be that bad. Like I might actually get a decent, player for that and not worth taking your crappy contract it a team like Detroit though is a good example like 50 million dollars I didn't realize it was that much that's insane like it, it could possibly work but I just think that that ninth overall pick might not necessarily be as valuable as as we think it is yeah I think the only way my hypothesis works is if there's a player that a team really really wants and identifies right so in the perfect world, in my scenario, Detroit would take Eklund at six, I believe it is. And then they would jump up to take the goaltender prospect at nine, if he's still there. I know San Jose, a lot of people think they could take the goalie as well. Um, but yeah, it was just a what I thought a bit of a creative way to maybe dump a salary and be able to, uh, you know, still get a good prospect in the pipeline as well. Because that's one of the other issues for the Canucks right now is all our good prospects have graduated to the big club. So now the cupboard's bare again. But that's for me why you don't do that trade is because for me, there really is a top nine. Like even before the, the draft lottery, I had, there was a tier of nine, maybe 10 guys. Uh, but really there was nine. I thought that were clearly better than the others. And I think this is your opportunity to bring in a really good player. And it's just not worth it again, in my opinion, to the, the cost of moving one of those contracts to fall down 14 spots uh, I just wouldn't do it I would take the prospect let the contracts ride out and you're going to be in a much better shape overall for the season after having done that than you would if you were to to do that trade the yeah, only ex- the only exception is if there's some trade that comes along like let's say you're a Seth Jones fan or something and you can do a deal and get a extension then maybe but I'm also wary of Seth Jones um but I think uh, f- for me, I want to I want to keep that pick. I want to I want to get a, a young player in there, whoever it is. I want to I want to get a nice top 10 pick. 
Yeah, I still think that this draft, I mean, Atu Ratu, I think is the kid's name, the young Finnish kid. He was touted to be the first overall pick or at least go second uh, behind power up until this year. And now he's fallen into the mid-teens to early 20s. And I think he's still a really high-end talent. I just believe, I just personally believe this year being such a crapshoot, I agree that there is that top tier that you're saying, Pete, and it's better to get that surefire prospect in the pipeline. But I definitely think there are players in the later rounds that are going to be had that could be huge, huge impact players for this team and other teams in the future. Do I know all the names? I don't, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I really, I really do think there's some late round gems in this draft. I really do. Well, and another uh, route they can go is with Seattle and Seattle has $81 million in cap space right now. So they're, they're starting from scratch and it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, and that's something that I think the team could entertain a little bit more is maybe they can get them to take someone in the expansion draft and throw in another asset or something, you know, maybe there, there's something there that, that could be done and Seattle can go the Vegas route and just amass a silly amount of draft picks, but I'd be okay with doing something with that. But uh, again, like, the, like you said, the cupboards are pretty low right now. We need to restock the cupboards. We have had more and more graduate. Our next blue chipper is going to graduate as well. And then until we draft someone, we are, really without a blue chipper once pod Colson gets promoted. Yeah. I was going to say that too. Like really outside of pod pod Colson, like I, 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 it might be completely obvious. I might just be drawing a blank here, but who's next. I mean, Jack Rathbone maybe, but he's pretty much penciled in on a spot with the Canucks next year as well. Right. Yeah. I'd I'd say both those guys and I'd say Will Lockwood might even be promoted too. And I, there's, I think there's a good chance that the Canucks are really going to utilize those entry level deals and see what they got with players in a more controllable situation. Like again, like, okay. Yeah. Gadjevich didn't really impress. Lind didn't really impress, but like these guys are quarantining. They're, they're hopping. They had quarantines in Utica. Like it, it just wasn't a normal year. There's so many things about this Canucks team that it wasn't a normal year. And like, so uh, Phil, I wanted to ask you this. Like, do you think that the Canucks are actually better than how they showed this year? I think what we saw this year was exactly who they are. Um, they lost their best goaltender. They lost their best defensive defenseman and they lost arguably one of their best forwards, not to say the name that should not be said on the podcast. I know (laughs) we don't want to talk about it, but, but it needs to be said, right? Like they, they lost like arguably their best player in every one of those positions. Um, So I think that this year is exactly who they should have been, who they were. Um, I, I had them, I think, sneaking into the playoffs in the fourth spot at the beginning of the year. That was before all the COVID stuff happened. Um, so PD's yeah, injury as well, obviously played hundred percent. I'm talking like full, fully healthy team. You know, yeah. I think that they pop, they probably squeak in that. I think it was February where they had two wins. Didn't do them any favors either. Right. So um, yeah, I honestly think that this team is what you got. That's who it is. And you didn't even bring up Troy Stetcher, who, you know, his underlining numbers are really good and he's a fan favorite local kid. Uh, I agree with everything you said, but I will say this. I don't think any Canucks fans, especially with how well Demko played in the bubble last year, would have been comfortable signing Markstrom to the deal Calgary signed him for. Right. So I, you know what, I think give betting credit. I think it was smart to walk away from Markstrom at the number he was trying to come in at. 
people have been trying to t- trade Tanev. The trade Tanev club started by the late Jason Botchford. You know, people have been trying to trade Tanev, Tanev out of Vancouver for what? The last four years. Um, and saying, hey, look, this guy is a depreciating asset. Let's try to get a return on him. And this has always been one of my biggest criticisms of Jim Benning and his management style is he holds on to assets too long. And then when it's time to trade them, they have no value. Uh, look at Dan Hamuse, Brandon Sutter, uh, Chris Tanev. You know what I mean? All the, Ryan Miller, who apparently he could have gotten a second or a first round pick for and decided to keep him the last year of his contract. Again, what are you thinking? Um, but to your point, I do think a lot of those players that you just mentioned, the goaltender, their best defensive defenseman, everybody was wanting to move on from them heading into this season, especially with the success this team had after the bubble. I think most fans are okay with Markstrom and Tanev going. I think that was kind of expected, and we knew that they were going to get more. It's really the the Toffoli and Stetcher, and when you see what those yeah. guys signed for, that really – enrages his fan base like i like i said before stetcher i get it i I was you know i can live with him walking but the Toffoli one it it does it really hurts and it just sounds like for him to not even get an offer you hear more and more things about it all the time and we're we're not ever gonna get over this for the next three years it's gonna keep coming up and especially geez imagine if tyler madden starts playing in la and doing something i mean (laughs) it's uh it's it's gonna get worse so i i do think that the fan base was it, it's easier to swallow all the guys that Calgary signed. It's the guys that Calgary didn't sign um, that really hurts. And you mentioned about holding on to assets too long or trading at the wrong time. We've talked about this a lot. I think the ham situation was maybe a little bit different. It sounds like there, that one may have been squashed. I mean, we're getting into again, the rumors from ownership and you know how I feel about meddling ownership. That one may have been a little bit different, but other guys are trading low. I mean, we talked about Godet and you know, I don't know so far like Matthew Highmore, he played, okay down the stretch but you're, you're trading a guy and again there it sounds like there's more circumstances with that than we know about too but you're not trading a guy at the height of his value or you're not trading him at all and that's being kind of a constant problem with this management regime yeah and just going back to the the, the markstrom contract too like i i said it from the beginning i was like he's playing out of his mind like he he carried the Canucks to the point of like where they were really um, in his last season here. But I'm so happy he walked away from that contract. I just didn't want that contract. I didn't think the Canucks were at a point where they needed to, you know, go down this path of signing an aging goaltender who is, you know, just starting to get good at 30 and have him for until he's 36 or whatever the case was. And And he's injury prone. He's had some injuries. I mean, he was injured in the bubble and Demko stepped in as well. Right. So. Right. But then, yeah, like you said, it kind of goes back to, it's like everything kind of washes itself out or no, it's actually, yeah. Yeah. I guess it kind of washes itself out in the sense that, you know, it's like, cool. You walked away from the bad contracts you're learning, but then also you could have Troy Stetcher who, you know, wanted to play in Vancouver for what was it? 2 million bucks. Sure. Keep them. Why not? To fully. I think I was listening to, uh, I think it was uh, Halford and Breath this morning. I don't know if we're allowed to mention other shows. Yeah, or- oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I listen to Halford and Breath all the time, we, man. We, men- <laughs> we mention fan. everyone. We're, we're, just, uh, we're just a podcast at the end of the Canuck style over here. Fair enough. Um, I think it was, it was either them or Sakaris and Price. I can't remember, but it was, it, they were basically talking about how uh, Bergevin was trying to find enough money to sign to Foley. And they were like, I can't, like, we can't get up to $6 million or whatever it was that Toffoli was looking at. And they ended up signing him for 
what was the police deal? Four and a quarter, quarter, I think. Four and a quarter. Yeah, something like that. And it's like, we didn't even make a phone call. Are you kidding me? Like, it's just wild, right? Like, how does how do these things slip through the cracks? And mm-hmm. that's that'll always be my my one kind of thing with this management team is, you know, you're you're great on one end. Like, you've learned your lesson about signing these crazy contracts. But at the same time, you could have these ones that you could get for cheap if you just ask or you just you know, inquire about it. And then an, another player that I really was upset that they let go or yeah, that they let go was um, who was the other one again that went to uh, Calgary? Josh Levo. Yeah. Josh Levo. I actually was a big fan of Josh Levo. I thought he was, mm-hmm. you know, it, it wasn't like he was a big surprise or anything. You, you saw what he, what you saw and that's what he was. And I thought he was great. And for the amount of money that he cost too, like, you know, you're getting that guy also for a couple million bucks. I thought he would have been fantastic for the Canucks right now. Yeah. I mean, the Toffoli thing, obviously, it was a massive, massive mistake for management. Uh, communication, right? Like, we heard this before. And going back to, like, the ham you thing and even the Radim Verbata trade, management didn't go to these players until the witching hour to say, hey, are you comfortable with waiving your no trade clause? Are you comfortable with a trade to Dallas or wherever it was going to be, right? And it's the same thing, this lack of communication with your players and these people that you are meant to view as assets and you're not communicating with with them. And I do think Benning got very singular focused on the potential of acquiring OEL and it just totally put blinders on him. And that's one of the reasons potentially why things fell through the cracks and there was a communication breakdown between him and the Toffoli camp, but you cannot let that happen. And that's another reason why I am worried that this front office is so small. It's just him and Wisebrod seemingly making the majority of the decisions and having the man, the phones and what have you. And it's just like, you can't have a guy like Toffoli being left in the dark for what was it? Three or four days after free agency had opened he finally signed that deal with Montreal. So he had given the Canucks a two, three day grace period to be like, Hey, by the way, are, are you guys still interested in resigning me? If not, I'm going over here. And he still hadn't heard anything. And he signed the deal in Montreal. And you know, the fact that we gave up assets and prospects to acquire him as well, which I know a lot of people didn't feel like it was the right time to kind of give up on a guy like Tyler Madden and trade, uh, I believe it was a second round pick as well. But, you know, he made an impact for the limited amount of games he played for this team. And you're looking at what the guy is doing now in Montreal. He's also got a really good rapport with Tanner Pearson, who you just locked up for a similar number that Toffoli said he would have signed to Vancouver for. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Jeez, Doug, I thought we weren't going to talk about Toffoli. Uh, this, yeah, this no happened. kidding. <laughs> that, well, quite, since, like... we op- since we opened it up, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just going to add on to that saying too. Like, I think it just puts salt in the wound a little bit more because of how good he has been in Montreal and how dominant he was against Vancouver. Yeah. Like, that's just a slap in the face. Do you guys think he would have been that good for Vancouver this year though? Like, I don't think so. I don't think he would have been a 20 goal scorer in, for the Canucks this year. I mean, perhaps, maybe, who knows? But I, I do think the fact that he seemed to be very motivated playing in Montreal this year. And like you said, Phil, he was an absolute Canuck killer. Um, I think that absolutely puts more salt on the wound. I I think he would have made the team better. Uh, That's all I know. He would have made the team better. And whether he scores at the rate that he did, I mean, we're, we're, 
we're in the market for a, a top six winger and he was the perfect fit and we let him get away. Um, so it's, it's always going to be one of these great stories in Canucks lore. Uh, now is Tyler, Tyler Toffoli and the one that got away instead of having a guy leave the team at, at the end of his UFA status where we're like, see you later. Like perhaps we are with Brandon Sutter here right now mm-hmm. uh, as well. Um, I just wanted to uh, quickly go back to uh, some of the other coaching moves that happened today. We talked about Ian Clark a bit, um, but we're also uh, Noel Brown is now no longer with the team. And, and uh, I know Doug, you and I have talked a lot about Noel Brown on the show and, and the Canucks power play. Um, so we don't really know who's going to be in charge of it or, or, or what we're, what exactly they're going to be doing with it yet. But I just wanted to throw out, what, what do you guys want to see from the Canucks power play? Because it was, it was blindingly inconsistent. We, I, I know like I, I hate the drop pass and you know, it, it may still be around, but whatever, but you know, like what, what do you guys want to see? Like I really enjoyed seeing when we had Hughes and Rathbone doing the two defensemen approach, but maybe we use Rathbone on a power play too. Like uh, w- w- Phil, do you have any ideas for what you would like the power play to look like this year? It's funny that you mentioned the drop pass because I saw a tweet today and if that person's listening, I, I'm giving credit to them and please let let us know so I can give you credit. But it was like, yeah, now, now the Canucks this year are going to do a 21 drop pass salute in honor of Noel Brown on the power play. <laughs> um, I, like, I'm not going to try and pretend like I know a hell of a whole lot about the Canucks coaching staff. Like, for me, it's just not something I pay super close attention to. Um, but as far as the way they set up on the power play, I like the fact that they've been talking about going back to like a two defenseman three forward setup i really think that that's great especially with you know our connects or like their our defenseman with hughes and um and you know if we can get a couple more offensive defensemen it would be a great setup to have um and then you can kind of load up a second power play unit too which i think has been a bit of a struggle for the canucks even though i find that horvat has scored quite a bit on the power play but i feel like he kind of is, is more so on a power play two kind of guy. So yeah, it would be, it would be fantastic to see them kind of go with a, with a two defensemen, two solid defensemen and, and three great forwards. Yeah, I, I agree. I liked what I saw at the end of the season with Rathbone and Hughes on the PP one. One of the big issues I've had with the power play for the last two years is the power play. The second unit has been non-existent. I don't even think the second unit scored more than one goal this year, um, which is, unbelievable the other thing too that i think has been a real issue for the power play at least from my very basic eye test is how stagnant they are they don't move you have pd set up on one side you have Bester set up on the other side you have hughes kind of skating back and forth on the blue line and then they're trying to set up that slot pass to horvat you might have someone behind the net who's going to make that quick outlet pass to Horvat, who's going to snipe at home, but they're so stagnant. You watch a power play like Tampa and the way they're moving and moving the puck, same with Colorado. That's what the Canucks need to do. They need to move their feet and they need to be stop being just standing still waiting for that one timer. On the second unit power play often only gets 20, 25 seconds of time. So it'd be nice to actually turn that into more of a weapon as opposed to completely gassing your top guys and then throwing the whole rotation of lines out of whack again. Because if you do that, you're now all of a sudden you're going to have your bottom six playing more and uh, same a lot of the top guys don't kill penalties. So I do think they really need to look at the strategies with what they're doing. So I I welcome the change to the power plays. I also welcome bringing Brad Shaw in because he's done a lot of work with uh, PK and with Blue 
headlines. So uh, some of the stuff he said today, I don't know if you guys caught the uh, interview he did on Sportsnet, uh, just talking about what he wants to do with the penalty killing and thinking different ways and having an aggressive penalty kill, I thought was was really smart. Um, also, the Islanders just eliminated the Bruins. Uh, two empty net goals, 6-2. Islanders will get the lightning. Yes. That yes. is awesome. So that's <laughs> uh, that's some good stuff uh, that, that we got going on here. Um, Phil, just before we let you go, uh, I wanted to just ask if you have any just kind of final thoughts about what you, what you would like for this off season. And I know you mentioned just kind of holding the course and, and not, not going off the rails too much, but like what would for you would be a, a successful off season before the Canucks actually play their first game of the season next year? I mean, getting rid of all the bad contracts would be great, but <laughs> unfortunately that comes with other sacrifices that the Canucks just can't afford to do right now. So, you know, they're strapped. They're really, really strapped. Um, I'd like to see them maybe make a move for a top six winger. Um, are they, are they going to go for, um, are they going to get, try and get JT Miller to play that third line center role next season? If that's the case, that kind of spreads out your scoring a little bit, but it does it spread out your scoring or does it maybe eliminate your scoring a little bit more because the guys that are all scoring are all on the same line. And now it's like, Hey, now you're going to have to kind of put JT Miller with someone who might not necessarily be a great score. It's going to be a really weird off season this year. I'm, I'm actually really interested to see what the Canucks do. Benning has said that it's, you know, it's go time. It's we're going to start making some aggressive moves. So I'm going to hold them to it. I, I know we're going to hold them to it as fans. I don't know if ownership's going to hold them to it. Um, but I know that, you know, I would like to see that defense really get worked on as well. Um, and then I think for the draft coming up, I think that they just need to go for the best player available. I know that everyone tries to, you know, what, what, are, what are our needs? The needs for the Canucks is the best player at number nine. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most this off season. Yeah, so, or or wherever they draft. And and when Benning says he's going to be aggressive this offseason, does that scare you? No, I don't think it really scares me. I mean, how much worse can it possibly get? Uh, don't <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that he's I would think that he's smart enough now that he knows that he can't be doing these long term deals uh, with players that aren't really proven. Um, you're just kind of taking a, a you're you're basically being like, well, they're, they're giving you five years. We'll give you six. So oh, they're giving you 5 million. We'll give you 6 million. You know, like, it's just like, we'll do whatever it takes just to get this player. We just don't want anyone else to have them. I think he's kind of learned his lesson with that. Um, I've made reference to it saying in a couple of years, the Canucks are only going to have nine players current, like as of today on that roster. I think it's now going to be a little bit more of just, you know, get us into a competitive, uh, get us a competitive team for, for this upcoming season and then, um, and then, you know, get ready to go for the following season. So it'll be aggressive, but I think, I think it'll be a good off season. I think it will. I'm with you on that with Holden Fort. And I do like to think that the team with all the auditions this year with the bottom six saw that you don't need to spend a lot on the bottom six, which is something that we've mm -hmm. painfully done <laughs> over the past way few too years. much, way too much. One of, I'll say this, one of the better trades Jim Benning made during his tenure as a the general manager for the Vancouver Canucks was Jordan Subban for Nick Dowd, who's been amazing in Washington. And yet we let him walk out the door for nothing as well. It just, 
it is ridiculous. I do hope Benning, and I think, I think he has, although they did just resign Tanner Pearson to what I think is a bit of an absurd contract, given his age and given his level of play slowly diminishing over the course of the last couple of years. Um, but I do think he has learned his lesson. And I do think when he's talking about being aggressive, I don't think he's talking about free agency. I think he's hopefully looking at how they can take advantage of their situation on the blue line as far as the expansion draft goes and maybe they can pluck a player from a team that has too many defensemen to protect and are could potentially lose a really good defenseman for nothing and maybe you give up a mid draft pick like they did for nate schmidt and you're able to get a really good defenseman on the right side who knows uh i i do think next year the canucks playing in their own Division again, the Pacific Division will be beneficial as well. I don't think the travel schedule and the amount of games they had to play this year in such a condensed amount of time is going to be as rigorous on the team. So I do think that there is a chance that this team could still make the playoffs next year. I mean, you look at the Pacific Division. I mean, I know teams like LA and Anaheim are slowly on the rise, but I still think they're a couple of years away before they are contending year after year for a playoff spot the Canucks could be in a playoff spot next year they really could if the Canucks can finish ahead of the California teams in Seattle they'll be in the playoffs yeah so I mean I mean and again who knows maybe Seattle will pull a Vegas and maybe LA will pull something in and start to to move on up to you you never know right but just kind of when you say it like that I'm like yeah they, they do have a shot at the playoffs next year they do whether uh whether they get there or not will remain to be seen but um I I do think the team is better than what they showed this year. Um, and I, I base that purely on the schedule, the time zone hopping. Uh, and the North was the only division with, with that played in four time zones. And uh, that, that does take a toll, especially when you're the farthest one to the West. The other thing I did want to just kind of say is that not that and I know you said that earlier in the episode, Phil, not that it's not to be expected, but it does sound like contract negotiations between the Canucks and Hughes and Peter are going very well. I know Dolly Wall reported today that he's hearing that things are progressing very, very well. I believe Elliot Friedman also mentioned something about the deal. There's a little bit of talk and I would like, you know, one of the final questions I have for you, Phil and Pete, I'd love to get your input on this too, is are you worried if the Canucks signed Hughes to a five-year deal, the fact that they're walking him to free agency, does that worry you a bit? Or do you think that, you know, just because he's a UFA doesn't mean you could still resign him to a, uh, contract beyond those five years. Yeah. I mean, it would worry me five years for me is not an area that you really want to go unless you're getting a, a great cap hit, like what Nathan McKinnon did in Colorado. Uh, for me, it's a bridge that leads you into a final year of RFA or a more long-term. The problem is with a more long-term, you're probably going to need to come up in the cap. So for me, uh, anything that it was like a five or six, uh, you have uh, a Quinn Hughes going to, to free agency that that would worry me. For me, it's um, it's a, a three or four year deal or an eight year deal right now. I think uh, anything in between is a little bit scary for me. I don't think he's going anywhere. So I don't think the Canucks need to really worry about it too, too much. Um, they're going to have first first talks with him. Hopefully, hopefully the time doesn't run out. Um, I'd like to see a bridge deal done. You know, let's just kind of get these guys under contract, make them happy. You don't need to do the long-term thing right now. We don't like, it's going to be a flat cap for a while. Let's, let's just secure them for the short future. 
um, because we know that these guys are going to be playing for a long, long time in Vancouver. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know what? With Seattle coming to the NHL, the ESPN deal getting done, there will be an influx in the salary cap, I think, in the next three, maybe four years. So that time, when when you get to that time when it's like, oh, you know, what are the next contracts for a Hughes or a PD going to look like? Well, there could be an extra $15, 20000000 million to the current cap. Uh, you know, we could be looking at a $100 million cap throughout the course yeah. of the league. And those deals would look like really sweetheart deals. And you can maybe get a guy signed on a longer term because of that. And the other thing, too, that I think is actually at, at first, I think it was really hurting the Canucks. But I actually think it might help them and it might help a lot of these teams with these big ticket RFAs is the Marner deal. At first, the Marner deal, it was like, man, this is an awful deal. The Leafs definitely overpaid for him. He's a hell of a player, but they've overpaid for him. Now that deal's looking worse and worse. And again, I'm not saying Marner isn't a good player. He is a good player, but that's not looking like a great deal anymore. And I don't know if agents can still use that as they're comparable to what they think a PD should make or I don't know, a Jack Eichel or any of these guys, a Patrick Line can make. So I think Marner's poor play in these last couple of playoffs has diminished the value of that contract. And I, I, I would be trying to leverage the fact that he's overpaid to any agent trying to use that as a comp. Do you think that it's a little bit different? Well, obviously it's different between, you know, players and, and goaltenders, but like you don't have anyone coming even close to carry prices numbers. Like, do you think that there's agents that are like, well, Gary Price makes $10 million a year. Why can't my go or my guy make $10 million a year? Like that's just not happening anymore. Right. Like no one's, no one's paying goaltenders that much money. Ever, Florida I is. I was just going to say, except well, Florida, Florida is. <laughs> but no, but you you're right. I- you're right. Like goalies in across the league, they just don't have that same value. They used to five, six. They're like the running backs of the NHL now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you right. can seemingly get a goalie to play. I mean, you look at the goalies left in the playoffs. I mean, Flurry and Price are pro and Vasilevsky. But outside of those three, there's a lot of journeyman goaltenders left on these teams. And yet they're making it to the second and third round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Those three are offset by Varlamov and Grubauer. Um, and I, I, I think they don't have the name power of those other guys, but I, I get what you're saying. I think there, there's, you can't value goaltending enough yet. There does seem to be not enough value in trading for, for goalies. It, it's, it's a very hard position to work with, um, which is why the Canucks have Ian Clark there for five more years. But even look at last year, the playoff bubble, uh, you had Leonard, who's now the backup to flurry funnily enough in Vegas. And then who was the Russian goalie in Dallas that went on that run? I forget the guy's name. Uh, the Russian dude. Uh, can't think of his name, man, but he was a Russian goalie that played for the Dallas stars last year. Uh, but he's been a journeyman his whole career as well. And again, that's all it takes. These goalies get hot in the playoffs and, you know, Cam Ward for the Carolina hurricanes back in the day. That's all it takes for these guys to kind of get on a run and get hot. And I think that's one of the reasons why goalies just don't get paid what they used to. And I know some people were even critical of the Demko contracts. They thought, Hey, he's looking like he's going to be this superstar goalie, but you're really kind of hedging your bets that he's going to be the player that you think he is over the next course of the next five years. I think it was a good contract and I'm happy that we got it done, but I can see some of the concern people have, especially with the volatility of that position in the league. Uh, what and, 
Anton Kudobin was the, the goalie. I, just, I, it, I had lost it too, but I think it was right. Anton Kudobin. Thank you. What would the alternative have been if they didn't sign Demko? Exactly. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you maybe try to get Flurry out of Vegas or Robin Leonard or something like that? But then you're trading or having a goalie who's seven, six, seven years older than your current young franchise goalie that you've developed and tra- and drafted. It's like, no, it just doesn't make sense. Well, we got a, a Demko and Holtby team. We're going to have maybe a Demko Di Pietro team, and we got Ian Clark behind it all. So I do think the goalie line in Vancouver is going to remain strong. I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted a goalie again this year as well, just to kind of keep the pipelines moving. Because um, after those guys, you got Seelofs and Keeley as, as well. Um, but I, I know the Canucks like to keep the pipeline going. So it's going to be exciting stuff. Phil, we're going to have to let you go here. Before we let you go, um, is there anything you want to tell the good people out there? Uh, no, not really. Like, I'm a pretty <laughs> modest guy. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, please do, at Phil Figs. Um, yeah, I've just graduated radio school, so I'm looking to kind of get my foot in the door there. And this, is, uh, this has been a good first start. So thank you guys so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for coming, for coming on, on, man. Yeah, we really appreciate it too, Phil. And I'm glad we got to do this and I'm sure we'll be doing it again. And in the meantime, uh, we'll see you on the Twitter sphere. Anytime, man. Thanks a lot. And it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor. And I want to talk about Loki, the new Marvel show on Disney+. Plus. The first episode just dropped today. After I'm done editing this episode, I am definitely going to watch it. Um, I'm talking about something I haven't actually seen yet, but I think the hype is real. A lot of the early reviews on it have been really cool um, and really positive. I think there this does a lot with the timelines and some of the MCU universe, and I think it's going to be another home run MCU television program a la WandaVision and Winter Soldier. Loki, gonna watch it after I edit this episode tonight. Uh, if you're not watching any of the MCU TV shows, you really should be. I I probably really should be then. I haven't been watching a lot lately just because there's been so much damn sports on, which is which is great. But I, that does look interesting. I probably will check that out. Um, I wanted to just mention uh, something that we did this week, Doug. I actually got to see you and have a beer with you. And we also got to meet up with Jabo and Lee Frolin and have a nice little sit down and talk Canucks. And we had, uh, I think it was the Bruins Islanders game was on in the background there. And, you know, it's... It, it was so nice to do that. Like we were, we went out somewhere and there was people out and it, it, it felt like something normal. And there's a part of me when we were doing this, it's like, why does this feel weird? It's because we haven't gotten to do that. in, in like over a year is get together with, with people and, and talk hockey. So, uh, I just thought that was really nice. And I mean, the numbers everywhere are coming down. Um, it's just, it's great to see. Uh, it's really exciting. And I know we talked about this with Phil a bit, but just like having fans back in the building next year, I'm excited for that. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, shout outs to Jabo and Leaf. That was great to get to do. Um, and it's just great to yeah, remember remember the ego times again. They're coming back. Yeah, hopefully we get more of them in the not too distant future here. Definitely. And some more Canucks meetups.
Thanks for tuning in to episode 77, folks. Uh, that was a good one. A lot to, lot to unpack. A great conversation with Phil. Thanks again to Phil for joining us. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at PhilFigs. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pete underscore Gas. And, of course, we also have the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist going there. Uh, so give that a listen as well. That is over on Spotify. Yeah, uh, you can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Ben. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canuck Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.